Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, our podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You're about to hear a spoiler-filled discussion about the themes, the characters, and why this film is worth watching and thinking more deeply about. In fact, we're going to talk about why a bunch of films are worth watching or, in today's special episode, not worth watching. I'm your host, Rob Stinnett, here with my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Morning, Andrew. How are you? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a hot take machine today on this podcast. We are going a slightly different route for this uh, special episode. I feel like this is like on a very special episode of Meaning of the Movie. Rob and Andrew talk about some weird movies. Do you know that kind of reality of like growing up in the 80s and 90s and there'd be this very special episode where like, hey, Arnold's going to the bike shop and then all of a sudden like, oh, the bike guy is not safe. And then it gets really serious and sad. And I was like, oh, I came here for a half hour of laughs and now I came to a really dark dark corner. Do you know anything what I'm talking about right now? Yeah, I think they still did it a little bit in the 90s, but it was definitely more of an 80s trope. And I think I know it more now from it being like parodied on things. I was a kid, you know, and like family ties and I'm sitting down watching one episode and then he has the crazy drunk uncle that comes home. You know who that drunk uncle was? Who? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is in a very special. Yes. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is all off the top of my head, not my show notes. But yeah, Tom Hanks is in a very special episode of Family Ties, and it's frightening. Um, but that's not what this is, everybody. This don't, is not- <laughs> <laughs> don't stop listening. In fact, part of the reason we're doing this is we're calling this like a mid-season finale, or we don't really have seasons necessarily. But we want to take time and take a break and reflect on kind of our first half of the year of the Meaning of the Movie podcast, the shows that we've done, the movies that we've talked about. And uh, what this journey has been for us so far, as well as reference some of the other movies that were like, oh, we'll talk about this someday and have come and went. We want to talk about those as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's been several movies that we talked about on the podcast that like other movies in their franchise have come out since then or sequels have come out since then. And it's kind of begging for a bit of a follow up. So some of this will be a little bit of a uh, part two for other episodes. Yeah, so we wanted to just take a little bit of time. Normally, we kind of go through a movie, talk about the most meaningful scenes, what the movie means. It's been a lot of fun. I do want to take a moment and say thank you for everyone who's listening. Absolutely. Um, The comments, the reviews, text message I've got, you know, it just means a lot. Making a podcast is kind of like putting a message in a bottle and sending it out there and is like, oh, is anyone listening? And when you see the downloads, when you see the reaction, uh, just as a podcaster, it means a lot. Absolutely. I remember, Rob, when you first asked me if I wanted to to do this, my initial reaction was like, well, I don't really have a lot going on. I'm a little bored today, so I may as well create a podcast, but no one's going to listen to it. Um, and the <laughs> fact that like people are listening, not only just like downloading, but actually engaging and we're getting texts and emails and comments on the Facebook group and people engaging back about the movies that we're all talking about. It's really fun. So we're going to take a bit of a summer break. But before that summer break, we wanted to kind of wrap up with this like recap episode. And so here it is. We'll probably take like a month long hiatus and then we'll be back with a bunch more episodes. And so before we just kind of shut things down, put away the microphones, we wanted to say, okay, what have we done so far? And what are the movies that kind of came and went that we need to talk about before we shut everything down? Um, So I have a few special questions for today's episode, Andrew. And my first one that I want to start with is... What was your best and or worst take? <laughs> um, so I was thinking back on the episodes that 
we covered and there are some great movies that we talked about and i think my best take though potentially was our very first episode when i talked through um the rules of what a christmas movie are and why i still hold right now and many viewers will disagree with me that die hard is not a christmas movie whether or not die hard is a christmas movie may not be the point but i feel like my rules for what a christmas movie are uh was a pretty fire take i kind of liked it I thought it was a good framing theme for the discussion because, like, every Christmas, it's kind of like just a thing now comes around. Like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is it not? And so for you to actually say, okay, we need to, like, define this. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, what what are we saying when we say something's a Christmas movie? And these are the rules. It was like Buddy the Elf, four magical rules. And they were very simple (laughs) and they were very good. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but I would encourage you. Go back and listen to the Die Hard episode. It's, it'll be like Christmas in July for you. Go and listen to it. And you can listen right at the top. There's Andrew's four magical rules for what makes a Christmas movie. What was what was your uh, best take, do you think, so far? I think my best take was that we should do a live instant reaction Oscar episode. I told you, I was like, bro, I just think we should cover the Oscars this year. And so you're like, why? Nothing ever happens to the Oscar. And I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like something's going to happen. Maybe something historic will happen at the Oscars this year. Who knows? <laughs> and then, like, I remember the Oscars themselves happening, the slap happening, you know, and it's kind of like we've all moved on. It's kind of over. But even we're a couple of months removed and it's one of the craziest live TV moments of my lifetime. And I'm an old man now. I've seen a lot of like great live TV moments, but I've never seen anything quite like that. And so for us to A, do an episode about that and B, we talked about that, bro. I mean, it was right after the telecast. I did not get on Twitter. I did not get on Facebook. I didn't hear what anyone else was saying. It was like, okay, me, Rob Stinnett, as a man, I have to have my own take on these events. Here we go. And um, that was frightening and thrilling and i'm glad that we were able to like comment on that real time i I feel like listening back my comments on that may not have aged super great i think i wanted to downplay it because i just wanted to focus on the movies and this wild thing had just happened and with like 20 minutes of looking back on it which was not that much wanted to be like i want will smith's oscar to mean something and so i feel like in my brain i found all the reasons to like downplay it and be like oh maybe this is why it's not a big deal um and i think that was kind of my take on that on, on that episode because i i wanted to ignore it um and that you know maybe not my best take uh you really can't walk up on stage and hit people like that's not it's not a good move well and will smith has like disappeared right yeah. like are, For sure. are we going to see another Will Smith movie this year, next year, year after? Like one of the things that I kind of felt bad for other people in the situation were the Bel Air show, which is like the serious reboot of The Fresh Prince, which there's a lot of like fresh young stars on that show. And that show, like the pilot aired. People can fact check me on this if they care to. But like within a couple weeks of the slap, they happened pretty much at the same time. And that show had all this hype. And then it just vanished right because will smith was the the driving reason to watch the bel-air reboot was hey they're rebooting will smith's show and then suddenly it's like oh do we care about the new bel-air show in light of the slap so i kind of felt bad for like all of those guys this was their big break and then suddenly they're brushed under the rug too you know i was like ugh. yeah like all the fallout that happens from an event like that so anyway i just think like it's the only like instant reaction thing that we've done. The only thing we've like, okay, we're going to talk about this real time. 
And if I had to like put a stake in the ground, like who knew like how important that moment would be. And it was, yeah. you know, it, I remember that night, like it was fun and thrilling to talk about. Um, what do you think your worst take has been? Uh, I think I'm nailed it. I mean, I think I'm batting a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> just every take perfection. I think maybe my worst take is just like my love for so many movies. Like we put on all these different movies on and I just gush about them. Like one thing I do appreciate about you, like I talk about this and I give you a hard time for like how critical you are about movies. But, you know, (laughs) I appreciate that you're not just like, oh, Rob said we should talk about it. Therefore, I'm going to say it's awesome. Like I love the back and forth and I actually love that you're kind of like, nah, I didn't feel it about this movie. And you'll be honest uh, even when we have a guest on, you know, my friend Jason comes on and talks about Arrival, which is such an incredible movie, and you don't like it. And I don't understand how you don't like that movie, but I respect your conviction of not liking it. Uh, I think probably my worst take in that line of thinking might be that The Truman Show is overrated. Um, I think my experience watching that movie a second time was valid and that I was underwhelmed. But, like, I can accept that I'm wrong and that that movie is a masterpiece. Um, so if, if, if we're going through our episodography so far, my, my hot take that the Truman show is overrated, uh, is probably, probably my worst film take so far, but I mean, I don't know. That's how I felt like that's, that's what happened when I was, when I was watching it. It didn't do what I wanted it to. I was genuinely like Will Smith slap shock that you came in with that take. I, I was kind of like, I got there. I was so excited. I was like, okay, we're going to like talk about the nuances and kind of brilliance and how meta this movie is, and as a storyteller and filmmaker, and knows like what it means to manipulate an audience. There's so much juice to get into, and you're like, I don't know, man. Are we sure the Truman Show is good? And I was like, what? <laughs> That's where I have to go in the defense. I can't talk about the meaning. I have to say, no, it's actually worth watching. That was rough. <laughs> that was yeah. I I feel like I uh, napalmed that episode for you. But you know, you had John in your corner, who that's you know one of his top three movies of all time. So. I know I knew I knew I needed John's like glowing optimism of that movie to like carry me through because I don't know what I would have said to you if John wasn't there to be like, no, guys, you're wrong. It's awesome. Like (laughs) you would have uh, had to get all of the all of the villagers to come after me with pitchforks. 100 (laughs) percent. So I think one thing that's really interesting, we're kind of circling around this, Andrew, but like I'm curious about what you learned about your taste in movies by doing this podcast. Above everything else, I think doing this podcast has reminded me how much I love movies. I think in the past five years, I've gotten really wrapped up in television. Um, I was writing a play uh, recently, and I realized that every one of my scenes was about 40 minutes long because my brain was thinking in, like, TV format, writing to hour-long drama format. That's just the way I was thinking about storytelling because I was watching so much television. Good television, for sure. Um, But I wasn't investing in that many movies. And I think there's kind of a running meme out there on the internet of, like, we'll binge through five episodes of a TV show and watch, like, five hours of something in a row. But when we go to click on a movie, we're like, "Ah, two and a half hours, that's too long. Right, right. Right? And I think I've fallen into that in the last couple years and have been not rewatching great films and not sort of invested in films that I truly love and have been formative for me and that are completely formative in how I engage with storytelling. So I think 
doing this podcast has brought back to the forefront of my mind how much I do love like cinema and all that is to be said uh, there and everything that like movies can bring, especially in the movie theaters. Um, it's sort of reawakened that in me, which has been great. I love that, man. I It's funny for me because... TV shows I love and TV means so much to me, but TV feels like marriage sometimes where movie feels like dating. Like I actually feel the opposite of that meme where I'm like, okay, if I get in the show, there's like five seasons. How much is going on? Am I going to be bored by season three? Like, do I really want to invest in this show? Where I'm like a movie. I'm like, okay, it's like a contained story. It's two and a half hours. It's got good reviews. Like let's pop some popcorn and let's go. And um, I still think it's the foundation of storytelling in our culture, which is like kind of one contained story and one contained journey versus something that's like teased out and teased out. And we got to build this arc for another season to drop something else. And like all that other stuff that goes on to it versus like a movie. That's just like, it's like a good book. It's just contained. And so that's why they still mean so much to me. Yeah. Especially with the movies that we've been covering on this podcast and and the ones that you've sort of been introducing into our schedule a, a lot of these are from you know 20 30 years ago sometimes and it was before franchise filmmaking became the staple of hollywood and so even now with like long running film series we're viewing cinema more and more because it's kind of the way the economic engine runs for hollywood now as like long form storytelling we have all of these serial movies and it's been great to go back and cover some of these movies that are just one-offs, right? Like, there's no Arrival 2. Right. <laughs> there's no... So I went and saw a movie yesterday, and you know what we did after the movie was over? Watch through the whole credits. You know why? Because, oh, is there going to be a post-credit sequence that teases the next movie? It's like, that's become, yeah. like, not just in Marvel movies, but it's like, okay, that's what we do now. It's like, right. we kick off the franchise, and oh, we're going to tease a villain that's in the next movie. And that is really true that movies have even done that as well. I have I have an app on my, on my phone. I think it's called After Credits that you can go and look and see if there's a scene during or after the credits, so that I know if it's worth waiting for. And it even gives it like audiences thought it was worth the wait. It gives it like a percentage. So like I saw a uh, Jurassic World l l last night, and I went and looked, and I was like, nope, no after credit scene. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I think one other thing I want to say about this is the thing that I've learned about myself doing this podcast. And I mentioned this a moment ago, but like how much I gush about these movies. And I think there's two reasons. One, I, I'm i kind of the driving force from a producer. And so I'm like, Andrew, we should talk about this. Like, this movie matters in movie history. Let's talk about it. Or, oh, I just saw Don't Look Up. Or I just saw Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like, this is this is new. We got to talk about it. So, I snuck in Kanto into our schedule. But by far, uh, you've been the driving force behind all of the entries so far. For, for sure. And so I take both like credit and blame, and that's fine. But I think what it does is like automatically I'm predispositioned to like gush over the movie. I think the other reason that I gush over movies is because I approach them as a filmmaker. Now, I'm not a professional like feature filmmaker. I do, you know, documentaries, ads, that sort of stuff. I do some writing like I am a storyteller, but I just know what it takes to pull off any movie, to pull off a bad movie. It till still takes so many people doing something amazing. And so I have like such a reverence for it that I don't probably approach it like a critic as much as I should, which is funny because the truth is I don't like most movies that I see. Like I would say like, I don't know, I've seen 10 movies in the theater this year and I've really liked two of them, but that's not as fun to come on the podcast and just like bash movies. Right. 
but I thought today there's a few movies that actually do need uh, to be bashed. Like we do need to go after. <laughs> and so I want to talk about some movies that frustrated me today that we actually referenced in other episodes and like bring the jury out on them. Are you up for that? Yeah, I am. When we talked about this, I was like, hey, there's some movies that came out that we should probably do like a follow up on. And then it just turned out that most of this follow up was like, hmm, this didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're about to enter that space. There's a great quote from a, a movie called uh, Liberal Arts that no one has ever seen. But uh, Elizabeth Olsen is, is in it. And she says that, like, when you talk about things you don't like, it makes you boring. Talk about the stuff that you love and just be quiet about the stuff that you don't like, uh, because it annoys people and it makes you a boring person. Uh, so I think we've done a pretty good job on this podcast of not just like criticizing things for the sake of criticizing them, because that is kind of boring. But we've opened conversations about a lot of these topics that we need to follow up on today. Yeah, I think it's cheap just to say I didn't like it didn't work. It was boring. It was overlong. You know, I think it's like finding why you love something, what it works like. That's what I'm more drawn to. But there are certain things that I'm like, OK, what were we doing? Why did we mess this up so bad? Uh, Hollywood, you're in tr- I hate to like kind of make Hollywood a person like the big bad, but like <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hollywood, but the forces of business behind movies and the forces of economics behind it are really making some bad movies come out uh, at a time when we need great movies. And so I want to talk about a few of them. And we need to start with ground zero, which is like I told you a few weeks ago about my hopes for Jurassic World Dominion, and then I went and saw it, and I think you went and saw it last night, right? I did. So I saw a uh, IMAX showing Dolby Sound, IMAX. I was sitting in like the middle of the theater, huge screen. I gave myself the absolute best chance at liking this movie I possibly could, except for the fact that I saw it at eleven fifteen at night. That probably wasn't the best move. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what did you think, Jurassic World Dominion? 11.15 at night, a couple of weeks after its release, what are you thinking watching this movie? Um, one minute into the movie, I hung my head in shame. I, you have talked on this, on this podcast about how you are a sucker for voiceover, especially a voiceover opening. The opening to this movie is, it's like a newsreel that is just like listing exposition at you from a, like a news character that isn't even seen on screen. It almost feels like student film level writing of the opening to set things up. It doesn't set up any stakes. It's mind boggling how like flat the opening is. So the voiceover that I love is like Goodfellas, where it's like from Ray Liotta and he's like, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster, you know, and the music comes in and it's sure. just good voiceover. Election is another movie where it's like you're hearing all the characters you're hearing inside your head, inside their heads. And good voiceover creates character. What I hate about voiceover <laughs> is when it's just there for the sake of exposition. Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah, it's like a BuzzFeed article that it opens with. And it's probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> like. <laughs> Because as much as you hung your head in shame, like for me, at least, I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And I was like, where are we going from here? And it gets so much worse, like so much worse. There are like four or five movies happening in this movie. And none of them are good. I would say I would say one of them is good. Okay, which one? I've been falling asleep during that part. It's the uh, like Chris Pratt in the wilderness being a cowboy with with dinosaurs. It's the like being in the wilderness with dinosaurs in their natural habitat. And it's like the quiet part of the movie that it kind yeah. of ends on with like all the dinosaurs like living in peace with like like creatures. 
the, the, there is like a sort of quiet, serene dinosaurs in our world movie that I think is really interesting. And strangely enough, the one that Colin Trevorrow in all of his interviews talked the most about, about what he was the most interested in. And that 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 movie is on screen for probably five and a half minutes of whatever the seemed like three hour runtime of this movie is. Um, And then there's just like a, a whole bunch of other plot lines. The most prominent of is Giant Locust, which is just mind blowing that that is the main plot. The thread of the movie is like giant locusts coming out and like that's what the whole thread is. It's not dinosaurs. It's not really anything to do with dinosaurs. It's just giant locusts that are like causing world famine and like that's what the plot is. And oh, there happen to be dinosaurs in the background, which are very much in the foreground of the movie, but like driving on the plot. Yes. And this movie does what so many bad Hollywood movies do, which is like they do two things that they focus on. One is like set pieces. And so it's like, hey, we're going to put dinosaurs in the middle of the mountains. Hey, we're going to put dinosaurs in the middle of Italy, like by some fountains. Hey, we're going to put them like fighting in front of a volcano. They think because like we take some creatures and build a cool set piece around it and put some motorcycles all around it like that replaces story. And it doesn't. It's just like one set piece after another, and literally I was like, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know why they're on an airplane, Try, like, I didn't even know where they were going, what they were doing, why it mattered, it was so confusing. Again, we talked about Top Gun Maverick, and I said part of what made that movie work so well is its simplicity, it's clean, it's straightforward, I know what's at stake, I literally knew nothing of what was at stake, or who'd even care about in this movie. It's a common, uh, criticism of big blockbuster movies but when you pack in too many characters you don't know who to care about and that happened with this one is you couldn't spend enough time with any singular character to really care about them honestly i really like chris pratt and bryce dallas howard's chemistry i know a lot of people out there kind of am not are not into these two two characters and i don't think they've ever really done anything in this jurassic park franchise to make them worth loving but i think on screen those two together are like a fun romantic pairing I enjoy them together, and I might be in the minority. Hey, I have a quick question. Yeah. Is Arrival a better movie with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) If if I say yes, I'm going to lose all credibility. Um, but but you're thinking yes. (laughs) I'm thinking the romantic plot line might have a little bit more sparkle. Um, I... I, I I'm like, with you on their chemistry. Like maybe I'll like co-sign this. Yeah, I think their chemistry is is like really kind of like fiery, like and sweet. I I like them as a couple, and I enjoy watching them as a couple. So I kind of enjoyed watching them as a family a little bit, but like I didn't know what to care about. It was like I mean, Chris Pratt is getting killed right now. There's like the meme with like the tennis ball and the dinosaur in front of him, kind of like, hey, you could just create replace oh, yeah. Chris Pat with a tennis ball and like it'd be fine like he's being killed but I'm like this movie the directors the screenwriters the whole team they gave him nothing to do like nothing new to do no reason for his character to exist he kind of had some cowboy moments he still kind of put his hand up he talked to Blue the Raptor but like that was it Bryce Dallas Howard also had like nothing to do except kind of look worried and concerned and like that's it there was no motivation there was no I don't it was just like so paint by numbers and so sloppy and then they're bringing on all these other legacy characters and i'm supposed to care about them and i was like i wanted to but i just didn't 
it's it's interesting because we talk in the Jurassic Park episode about it being like a monster in the house movie. And we kind of talk about how it treads this line of like, when is it a monster in the house? And when is it like a cautionary tale about like the power of nature and the wondrousness that is the natural world? We talk about how it walks that line so perfectly that it's a great movie. And this movie thematically, Dominion, is about like don't mess with nature and when you do you could like destroy the planet but it but does in it, such a cheap way but like it's wait a minute. Like, oh no it, <laughs> it, it's so cheap because it's like hey if you create locusts that kill all the crops you might get hungry like that's like the lesson <laughs> in the movie and i was like ah. it was just like so on the nose for sure i mean maybe my best take is my one in jurassic park which is like it's impossible to make a good dinosaur movie outside of jurassic park like it just can't be done you know, we've had six tries now, and I'd say we're like 1.5 out of six. You know, like the batting average is pretty bad of these right. movies. There's a moment in Dominion where Laura Dern's character sees like a baby triceratops or whatever one of the small dinosaurs is. And she's like looking at it and like petting its head. And she goes like, you still never get used to it. It's, it's like it's still amazing. I remember actively thinking in that moment like, yeah, you do. By Jurassic Park 6, you absolutely do get used to it. Like, you're trying to somehow recreate this wonder for me. And that's what I thought I felt in these scenes where they were, like, the dinosaurs are out in nature. Like, when that brontosaurus, like, walks through the lumber camp, it really was kind of astonishing. Like, it, it, it reminded me of, like, when you see, like, I don't know if you've ever, like, I grew up in Colorado and, like, sometimes, like, a crazy wild animal would, like, be in your backyard. Like, you'd see, like... A bear or a mountain lion and, like, and you'd, oh, be, that's mountain lion, and you'd yeah. be like oh my god like come to the window like it's crazy that's what that like brought us so i think there was like like i said there's five minutes of this movie that i think is like this is cool and then the locusts take over and it's it's just kind of baffling to me what it felt like is a bunch of writers got in a room and they did a pitch meeting and they threw a bunch of ideas at the wall and they were like no idea is a bad one and they spent five minutes saying no idea is a bad one and then just took all those ideas <laughs> yeah like it seemed like a first draft of like hey what could we do uh you know and they just said yes to all of their first ideas and none of it's honed it's kind of yeah. baffling we've we've done a lot of sequels or done a couple of them in our you know we've done uh, Indiana Jones Last Crusade, we've done Terminator 2, and we've talked about like how great these sequels are. And I think part of the reason to like fan on them and talk about like even Maverick, we talked about that and like mm -hmm. this kind of incredible sequel. And I think the reason to marvel at it is because of how hard it is to do right. and how easy the temptation or you just kind of get stuck. Like I don't know what sort of script I would have written with these characters. It's kind of like there's nothing else to do with them. There's nothing else to do with this world. They've kind of like you ruin the magic trick, right? The magic trick is like, oh, they've been exposed to dinosaurs for the first time and they're seeing it and wrestling through that and that's breathtaking. And then once that magic trick is taken away, there's no other story to tell. There's literally nothing else to do. Right. And I think like that's what this movie was, which is grasping at straws. Um, let's talk about other movies because <laughs> this is our <laughs> mid-season finale. And so another one we really kind of hinted at was we talked about Spider-Man No Way Home. We had a whole big conversation about fan service, and this was before Doctor Strange came out. And so since we had that conversation, now Doctor Strange has come out. We've watched it. And what did you think of that movie? I <laughs> walked out of that theater and I instantly thought of our Spider-Man episode and our talking about fan service. And we had a list of like top three movies that do fan service badly. And I remember kind of struggling to be like, ah, oh, what's a great example? And I walked out of Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and I thought, ah, 
This movie, yeah. <laughs> this is the best example. I think Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness paints the perfect picture of what we were talking about in that Spider-Man episode of like how to not do fan service. And when fan service is only there for its own sake, um, I thought that's what like the middle of that movie act two is. I, I mean, how did you've you've seen it, right? I have seen it. Uh, I thought the same thing. I thought like. Not only fan service, but I was like, again, like just kind of run out of story. I was like, what is the story we're telling here? Like, it's so crazy that um, Multiverse of Madness comes out three weeks after everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, it's like, hey, Jurassic Park came out and I have this new dinosaur movie that I'm making that I hope (laughs) is good. But it's like the greatest multiverse movie ever made. Like, I'm pretty confident, like nothing will ever top everything everywhere all at once. Like as far as like that multiverse concept, it used it, it maximized it. And so then seeing Dr. Strange, even though it's probably been in development much longer, it just like fell so flat. Everything was like, you know, Sam Raimi, who I think is a really interesting director, but even he was doing fan service for Sam Raimi fans. So you had kind of two levels. One, Sam Raimi doing insider Sam Raimi jokes. And then two, Marvel doing insider Marvel jokes of like, oh, there's Jim Helper playing, you know, Mr. Fantastic Four. And there's Patrick Stewart as Professor X and even stuff like that that I normally like love. I don't know. Everything just felt like we're going to throw like the wall, but there's no fresh, insightful story here. And the way something like Spider-Man No Way Home has. One of the things I remember saying when we were talking about Spider-Man was the idea of could this story be told in a different way, right? Like bringing back the other two Spider-Man, was it like, oh, this is fun. We can do this. Let's do it. Or is it like, this is the best version of this story? And I think for for Spider-Man, the idea of bringing back other versions of him in order to help him through trauma is a really interesting and potentially best version or only way to tell that story really well and really compellingly. And so when you we brought in these characters from like, other franchises or other like universes when you get to that Illuminati scene and you get Professor X and you get John Krasinski in there as Mr. Fantastic which has been like fan casting online for the last like two years right pretty much since Quiet Place came out people have been fan casting him and Emily Blunt as Mr. Fantastic and Susan Storm and so that's been all over the internet so it's it's all these things that are for the fans that fans love but there was not a story purpose. You could have done that scene in a hundred other ways and it would have served the story the same way. Unlike Spider-Man No Way Home, where doing it the way they did actively made that story more emotional. Yeah, it's like what the story is about is there's this deep theme. And, you know, that's part of the reason we do the podcast is because I'm still convinced that the best stories are the ones that resonate. And when we just kind of slap stuff out there, like what was in Doctor Strange, which is just like, hey, this character and this character wouldn't be thrilling if this happened. And oh, now we'll have Wanda actually be the Scarlet Witch and she's evil. And like, it's just all these sort of things, but there's no soul to it. It just felt kind of soulless and emotionless. And I was like, yeah. there's no reason. Where Spider-Man No Way Home, it was like, when we first meet those characters, it's when he's just lost his aunt and he's questioning, like, have I failed everything? And these characters can, who, yeah, it's cool seeing them, but then as soon as they're on screen, it's like, no, they have something deep and meaningful to do. And actually, because of who they are, they're the only people who could have been there for him in that moment in that way. And so right. that's what the heavy lifting is. That's what the hard work is. And so for me, I think I land somewhere in the middle. 
Like, I'm not the anti-reboot. I'm not the anti-franchise guy. I really just want good storytelling. But if you're going to do this stuff, like, please don't just slap a bunch of stuff out there and then put the logo on and make me pay for this movie. My only defense of that scene and, like, casting all of those, those cameos, I was, like, trying to think through it. And I was like, the one thing that casting all those cameos does in that moment is it does to some degree heighten the devastation of Wanda murdering people. Like the fact that like Wanda's gone full evil when she is kind of a hero is somewhat startling in this movie. And I think there's a whole conversation to be had about like, does that completely do disservice to her character and the story arc that she went on very wonderfully in WandaVision for people who have seen that on Disney Plus? Um, and, and does that undermine her character arc? But like, which is a much better show way, than right, Doctor Strange? Way better show. Uh, cannot recommend that show enough. But like, she like murders an entire college of wizards, right? And you don't really care. But seeing Peggy Carter get chopped in half, even if I don't care that Peggy Carter's in this movie, the fact that it's someone I know or someone I care about. there is a little bit more of an emotional tie of like, oh, Wanda's like murdering people. She's not just like a big action villain. And so there was a little bit more of like, oh, she's really scary because she's killing people whose faces I know. And in order to kill people who don't matter later on, you had to like cast fun cameos. I see the reason to do it right. It was like a little a little nugget that helped. But overall, just, you know, And we're attacking the cameo moment, but to me, like, that's probably, like, the most interesting part of that whole movie. Like, that was at least the most that I was, like, leaning in and following it. Um, I'm going to do something that I try not to do on this podcast, Andrew, but I have to do it anyway, which is talk about sports. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Let's go. I thought you were going to say that you were going to have a list, which is something you never do on this podcast. No, I don't have a list right now, but I do need to talk about sports. So in the NBA or the NFL sometimes or in any professional sport, they do what's called expansion, which is like, hey, we're going to go from 28 teams and now we're going to have 32 teams. And once we have 32 teams, we have to like draft some of the best players, put them on other teams. And we have like 32 teams, but they're all a little worse. They're all the teams are a little more watered down and worse. And I feel like that's what's going on with Disney right now. I feel like they're going through such a massive expansion. They are doing so many Marvel shows. They're doing so many Marvel movies that they're just like, and Pixar as well. Like Lightyear, I felt it as well. They're doing Lightyear and Turning Red and Luca. They're like, everyone's cranking out more content because content is king. And there's such a pressure of it that I feel it's like when sports expansion happens and we don't have enough good players or enough good like systems and routines and processes to handle this many teams. And I feel the same thing with here. I'm like, we don't either. I think there's enough good creatives out there, but like things are too rushed, too watered down. And we're just trying to like hit the mark in the franchises where I'm seeing a lot of these movies that are coming out just to like check the box versus like, oh, we have an interesting story here to tell. And with Marvel specifically, like to me, what's so amazing is their run from what 2008 to 2019 is like impeccable of like, I would say 85% of those movies are really, really good. Right. There's probably like one, maybe two movies per phase that you can go like, that didn't work. Right. Like overall, like phase to phase, you're like, this is this is really working. And when it didn't, it was like, okay, that was fine, but almost never a total bomb. And since Endgame, like, the only two things I've cared about is Spider-Man No Way Home, which 
as we've talked about, amazing. And WandaVision, which I thought, like, I think I had such hope for the future of Marvel with WandaVision. Yeah. Because I was like, that's truly original. That's actually really special. You're you're being meta, you're pulling in all these different things, but you're talking about, again, there's an emotional resonance, which in WandaVision is grief. I mean, it's such a beautiful story about grief. And so I was like, there's really something here. And then, but so many of these other movies with Black Widow, with Doctor Strange, they're they're all fine. Like even the new Thor, I'm just like, I don't know, has Marvel kind of lost its way? Has it lost its magic? We've sort of overall avoided talking about Marvel on this podcast, with the exception of the Spider-Man episode, Um, because it's sort of taking up the bulk of cultural consciousness right now when it comes to movies. And I think one of the wonderful things I love about this podcast is it's reorienting me to all this, you know, great storytelling. Um, But they did do an incredible thing of building a really long cinematic story from Iron Man becoming Iron Man all the way through Endgame, right? Like, that had never been done in cinema history, and it was done masterfully. And it feels like they kind of expended all of their energy, and now they kind of are trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces and, like, restart, which is, to be fair, really hard. When you're pointing everything towards an end, every story has to have an end, and they did. They ended the story, and now they have to figure out how to create a new story while maintaining continuity which is really hard. And you see that in television all the time where you have three good seasons and then they have to figure out how to pull off a season four and five and they struggle to find new things to do. I I think Marvel is hopefully going through a growing pain um, if we want to still see good stuff. But I sympathize with them for how hard it must be to create more story when they ended a story so well. Yeah, I mean, what they did in Endgame, I don't think it's enough credit for being one of the true achievement and storytelling and cinema history because they just built such a universe all together and they really took their time and then they paid it off in so many ways. And it was just like that scene where they all kind of keep appearing on the battlefield. It was just like, I've never felt or seen anything like that. And it's like a decade of work on display there. And so it was so cool. But the the engine that made it work is like, hey, we're going to take some time and we're going to introduce Thor. We're going to explain his story. And we're just going to do a whole Thor movie and that's it. We're going to take some time and introduce these Guardians of the Galaxy. Why does it even make sense? We're going to take some time and introduce these characters. Nothing else there. No other twists. No other payoffs. We're just going to really like develop these characters in this world. And yeah. like that's it. And now everything is like Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Everything is this like <laughs> kooky crossover where it's like, hey, what if Guardians of the Galaxy and now Thor met Wanda? You know, it's just like yeah. it has that gimmickiness to it. And I think that's what's making it lose its way. And the other thing that I think the initial few phases had that helped so much was that they all, to some degree, were pointing in a a, a direction. The idea of the Infinity Stones gave it this loose framework to eventually pull everyone towards the same, like, playing field to play on at, at the end. You, you know, like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy are having their own story, but, you know, Thanos is kind of hanging out near them. And all of the other Avengers are doing their own story, having their own growth, but they're interacting with these Infinity Stones that are, right, there. everything naturally gets pulled towards this crisis point across 10 years. And by, like, having those, like, little, like, markers on a map to draw everyone together, um, it it allowed all those stories to come together in 
natural way. And to have the foresight to do that back in like what, 2012, whenever Avengers came out and they kind of dropped Thanos as like the big bad for the next 10 years was, I think, really, really smart. It, It allowed all of these individual stories to play out in a way that they eventually could roll nicely into into one kind of collision. Yeah, and so they had something like distantly out there, but still like the foundation was these characters, who they were, what made them tick, what their powers were, what their struggles were. And so they were just really well drawn and well defined. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one more movie, which is Lightyear. I know you haven't Oof, seen it yet, but you want to hear not. my thought on Lightyear? I do. Uh you had a question for me before, like before we started recording, uh, which is like, yeah, well, when as soon as this movie was announced that they were like, we're going to do a movie about Buzz Lightyear's adventures in space. My initial reaction was Buzz Lightyear is not a real person like Buzz Lightyear is a toy. That's the whole point. So is this like a story about the fake story that the toy is based on? Like, what are the stakes of this movie of a real spaceman? Because the point of Buzz is that he's not a real spaceman. So I was like very confused about the premise of this movie at all. So the opening card of this movie says something to the effect of in 1995, Andy received a toy Buzz Lightyear based on a movie. This is the movie about the toy. And then boom, it like goes in the movie. And like, I can't tell you, it was really interesting but I can't tell you how much that title card like took me out of the movie. Like there's something to my own psychology of it because part of what took me out of the movie and this is really dumb, but I, I watched the whole movie thinking like this is feels nothing like a movie that would come out in 1995. Like everything (laughs) about this movie feels 2022 where there's a grandma and she's really the hero. And like, it was just very much like, 2022 sensibility 2022 language 2022 like he has a lesson to learn like in the 90s it was kind of like dudes were action stars and they kind of went through it and they saved the day and they got the girl and that's what happened to it you know like that was a action space ranger movie in the 90s especially that a kid's toy would be based on so everything about this movie felt 2022 and that's part of what like kind of took me out of it also the idea and again i haven't seen this so i can't speak to it one way or the other but the idea of like that's the excuse to do the movie is like buzz is a toy based on a movie this is that movie is like uh, what like why like why why do this Uh, yeah and for me i was like oh cool you know like pixar like picks different genres and then they do something incredible with it it's like hey we're gonna tell an old like 1920s caper story we're going to talk about monsters in another universe yeah we're going to talk about a robot in space like that's kind of been the magic thing is we're going to take you to a world so i was like i'd be really interested in a pixar take on buck rogers essentially and i just can't tell you how soulless this movie felt like it's getting really killed in the reviews which actually surprised me um by reviews i mean like fan reviews it's got like a five on imdb which is really low yeah that's pretty bad um i don't know what uh dr strange has but it's probably has like a six or i think it's like a 6.5 yeah like a 6.5 which is pretty bad um but it it has like a five on imdb it just like most of the audience score is really bad for this movie um but i i mean i agree with it because i saw it yesterday and i was like oh it was fun it was fine and i was like i just can't believe like how soulless it was and thinking about like Ratatouille and The Incredibles and Wally and like Coco, you know, even more recent movies, Inside Out and Coco, you know, those sort of movies. Soul. I was like, there's so much like 
depth and emotion here. I mean, that's the thing about Pixar movies is that they are deeply soulful, right? Like they, they, they there is a richness to the humanity in those movies that I think is always surprising to people. And that's largely what Pete Docter brings to those movies. Like Pete Docter directed Soul, Inside Out, um, Up, some of the most like meaningful, emotionally kind of like wrecking movies that have come out of Pixar have come from Pete Docter, who is now the studio head. And maybe it's like a, a content is king. They have to put, you know, produce these things so quickly or so many at once that they don't have the you know amount of brain power on a single movie. I'm not sure. Yeah, pretty much since like pandemic started, like Onward did not do it for me. Turning no. Red did not do it for me. Uh you know, Luca Lightyear did not. Fine. Luke, Luca's fine. Like they're they're all fine, but I'm like nothing is as good as like Soul. Actually, is the one that I think yes. is really interesting. Although it's not a kids movie at all. Not but even it's a still, little bit. <laughs> but still, I'm like, okay, this is a movie with like heart and depth and story that's pretty magical. And so, yeah. uh, but yeah, man. I mean, again, I think that's what I felt this summer was like watching. Jurassic Park, watching Doctor Strange, watching Lightyear. I'm just like all these franchises that I kind of like depend on for something have let me down a little bit. But you know what movie did not let us down franchise wise? What's that? Top Gun Maverick, baby. Yeah, <laughs> we love that movie. Um, So maybe the one take that I want to go back from this this podcast and undo is I uh, said that Terminator 2 might be the greatest sequel of all time. Uh, I don't know how well this will age, but uh, Top Gun Maverick might be the greatest sequel of all time. It may, oh my it, gosh! It, it, it may have unthrown Terminator Two for me because it is so good. <laughs> um, it, it it may be uh, the best sequel of all time. I'm gonna I'm gonna stake my uh, stake my flag on that, and we'll see if I still agree with that in two or three years. I do not agree with that. I think Terminator Two is still a much better sequel, but. I've I've just beat up movies for like you've heard Grumpy Rob <laughs> again like I think what I want to tell in this episode is when I love something like I really look for something to love and that's why I want to share it with the world um, and Maverick is something that I loved and I think like yeah. I, I'd say it's the best sequel in the last 20 years maybe the best sequel of the 2000s I don't know if it's the best sequel of all time sure for me. <laughs> but, but I love it. Go, go out on that branch. We'll see what you think in a couple of years. Yeah, I'm going to hang out on that branch. Uh, well, th this has been uh, Andrew and Rob are less enthusiastic about movies and uh, pull back the curtain and uh, reveal that they don't love every movie they talk about. This has been refreshing. Yeah, I think it's a different take. Uh, mostly I wanted to do this episode and you you brought it up as well. It's just kind of like a mid-season reflection point. Any other thoughts that you have on like what we've done the podcast so far or what you hope for the future or what you hope people who are listening get from this podcast. Um, as we sort of take a couple weeks off, I mean, my big thing is gratitude. Like I said, at the top of this podcast, I did not think people were going to listen to this. I, I live in L.A. and I've made this joke before. Everyone in L.A. has a podcast. When you say you have a podcast, everyone's like, yeah, that's just how you do therapy, right? You're talking to a microphone and feel better about yourself. Uh, it's a very common thing in L.A. to have a podcast. So I didn't think anyone out there would be listening to this. And people have and you've responded. And that has that's been really exciting for, I think, both you and me that absolutely we, that we could have this conversation about the meaningfulness of, of movies to a larger uh, the audience and that you all want to um, engage in this in this conversation. If I want anything for the audience who's listening to this, I would say it, it would be to uh, sort of refall in love with movies in the same way that I have over the last, you know, nine months to 
want to dig into this sort of more classic cinema um, and remember sort of why I fell in love with movies to begin with. Yeah, I think for me, what I hope for this podcast is one, when I go see a movie, I just want to talk about it afterwards. And so I hope that people have this podcast as like, okay, I can process a movie as well as either be reintroduced to new movies or rethink about movies that you've watched before. Like we talked about, you know, in Jurassic Park, sometimes you just turn on that movie and watch it and don't realize like, oh, there's a lot that they're trying to say here. Even in a movie like Terminator 2 or, you know, especially movies like Arrival and everything everywhere all at once. It's like these stories are really about where we are as human beings, what we're dealing with. We've had a traumatic couple of years and we're processing life and feeling. Yeah. And so we need movies to help us make sense of the world. We talked about stranger things and we talked about like horrific things that have happened. And we need to like have that as part of the world where it's like, okay, how do we process all these horrific things that are happening around us? And I think movies and stories are a way to do that. And so I hope this podcast encourages you to like watch more stuff, but mostly think deeply about what you're watching. And I appreciate, like you said, how everyone's entered in this conversation. And I hope that continues and only grows from here. Well, I think that's it. Uh, We'll be happier next time, I promise. Uh, We're going to take a little break. We'll be back soon, and we appreciate you all. We will see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie. Uh